Time now for the morning line here on KMA. The Iowa legislature nears its first funnel deadline of the session this week. And with us on the line with an update on the activities at the State House is State Representative David Seek. Good morning to you, Dave. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Good morning, KMA land. Good to have you with us, sir. And uh, first of all, could you kind of give us an idea of what bills you believe will make it through the funnel deadline and what bills won't right now? Um, well, there's quite a few bills that are going to make it through the funnel, and I, there's a lot of bills that will be worked on this week, so it's kind of a, kind of a moving target right now. I know um, that the, the governor's uh, uh, AEA bill came from the Senate, but it hasn't gone nowhere in the House, so that bill is probably dead. I know that they're working on a lot of uh, changes and maybe coming up with like three separate bills. Um, and then I, I think that, uh, um, well, just th- there's a plethora of bills out there. And, you know, more be the other day they read in 50 in one day. So it's, it's a moving target right now. You say that uh, the bill, the AEA bill, is alive in the Senate, but right now it stands to be dead in the House. What are some of the things that are blocking it from consideration in the House right now? Well, I think just the outreach from all the people, which was, you know, great that um, – there's a lot of things in the bill that would need to be massaged and worked on, and it just went too far too fast. I, I think some of the changes that the House is looking at is there's three separate bills. They're working on a bill for um, safety after what happened in Perry. There were uh, the supplemental school aid, which I think the governor's at 2.5%, and I think uh, the House is leaning toward three, so there might, you know, it depends on, on how that moves forward. And then there's the AEA bill. And I know the House has been working on a version that would be, everybody would kind of agree to. I mean, they've been running it through all the AEAs and seeing what they're saying. It wouldn't be ideal, but it wouldn't be these massive changes. It'd be a slow over three or four year change. You mentioned the school safety bill and uh, that bill is House Study Bill 675 which, in case people don't know about this, this would allow anyone to obtain a professional permit to carry weapons if they're an employer of a school district, private school, or college that hasn't opted out of the professional permitting of employees. Can you talk about why this bill was proposed? Uh, We know the Perry situation. How did this come about? Well, I think that, you know, and there's a lot more in it than that. They were talking... uh, some of the schools don't have the right communications to communicate fast. So that was part of the bill that they're working on so that the schools have the resources to do that. They also, we had a study built into a bill a year or two ago, and the schools were supposed to do it in, you know, how to become safer, how to lock their schools down. And it wasn't mandatory, and some schools didn't do it. And then, so that's something that they've, are going to in this bill will make mandatory, which I think is important because we need every school to be understanding, you know, what's going on, how, what are the resources they need. Because if they want resources, we need to know what they need. And then, as far, you know, that, that's probably the most consternation on the bill is the um, the fact that employees and, and it was rigorous training. I mean, I, I kind of look at that one too, rigorous training and yearly updates and. You know, it's it's not, you know, it's it's really complicated. And then the professional, you know, you, if you opt out of using professionals, so that's that's something that each school can decide. And there are some schools. Well, there's two things that were were really it was the liability 
of having guns in the schools, and then the second thing, so the insurance companies weren't real fond of it, and then the fact that um, uh, it, it uh, uh, well, I can't even think of the, third, the second thing right now, but I know the liability was a big issue, and then I think that this will help a lot. It'll be a lot of resources put in it from the state. I don't know, you know, the school, some schools have already wanted to put armed teachers in there, and that has not been allowed because of the liability and other issues with parents and things like that, which I think everybody needs to have that conversation and decide if it's right for their school. Along those lines, you mentioned that there's rigorous training. What sort of standards, what sort of qualifications would school districts and staff members have to meet before they could carry a weapon in the school building? Um, well, I know that um, it's, it's, it's – uh, Safety checks, background checks. They have to um, go through this uh, training to be able to shoot, to understand the gun. To I mean, it's it's just a long list that uh, it looks to me like it's a pretty complete list of of things. And then there's a yearly update. I think they also you know have to do screenings for you know all sorts of health health issues. So. There's a lot of, I know, opposition toward this, including from the ISEA, who don't believe that school staff members should uh, be required or, or be expected to carry weapons in school districts. And this is just a backdoor way to get more guns into schools. What sort of opposition do you expect to this bill? I expected that to be the most opposition. I'm waiting to see what the final, the final bill looks like before I make any decisions on it and talk to my schools. So I have no idea, but I'm sure. I mean, when I, when I first listened to what they were talking about, about the bill and how it was going to be framed, I, t- I think that was my biggest concern. So. There's also legislation floating around that, uh, you know, question whether or not uh, it'll meet the funnel deadline Friday that would set new regulations for future pipeline projects and electrical and transmission lines. What do you know about this particular bill? Well, the, if it's the bill that I think you're talking about, it, it isn't. If it's down to like ten member, members can stall it or something like that, I don't. I don't think that that'll go anywhere from what I hear. Um, but I do think, um, you know, I met. We had a lot of constituents at my legislative coffee, coffee last weekend, and um, I heard their complaints. And a lot of it was with this uh, um, summit not working with them. And then I also heard that, you know, we're putting a, a line over to Poet now, which is going to come across in another couple counties and and hook into the one that's coming out of Shenandoah. So I, uh, I see a lot of concerns and I have a lot of issues with um, the, uh, uh, um, the people and the way they've been treated. And I'm, I'm looking into that right now. And when I, you know, we'll have a lot of questions on that with with Summit and with the Iowa Utilities Board. So, what about eminent domain? I know that was uh, one of the big concerns entering this session after it didn't didn't get through last session, at least on the Senate side of the chamber. Do you foresee legislation that will uh, address eminent domain issues when it comes to the carbon pipeline projects and really any other project out there? Um. Yeah. You know. I. Uh, we started, you know, with, with a lot of this started a year, a year and a half ago, and we started working on it. We actually, I didn't vote for that bill last year. There were some things in it I really didn't like, but I realized there's a lot of things that need to be changed. And uh, several of us in the House were working on a bill to make changes to the Iowa Utilities Board. I mean, I think we have to have eminent domain 
but I also think that um, there has to be, oh, I don't know, just more more understanding and control and more transparency in it. And and a lot of the things that we were addressing were things that were, were going on with this carbon pipeline. So. The fact that Governor Reynolds has more or less indicated her support for these pipeline projects, and although she indicated she would be open to you know future regulations regarding pipelines are concerned, the fact that she is in favor of this project, is that having any bearing on what may or may not happen in the legislature when it comes to eminent domain? Well, just like last year, you know that the House passed it, and uh, I'm, I'm assuming the House would pass it again, whatever bill and changes. There's like certain things I don't think will pass just because of the amount of people that don't want 10 people controlling the whole legislature or 15 or whatever the number was or will be. But yeah, I, uh, I think that that's probably the biggest, you know, probably the biggest thing if you do get it to her desk, you know, what will happen. And I have no idea whether the Senate has an appetite for it this year or not. I haven't heard that much. So. We'll see what happens, I guess, to be continued is the story of this. And, uh, David, we thank you very much for being with us this morning. We'll talk to you again in the future. Have a good rest of the day. Yeah, thank you for having me. You guys have a great day in KMA land. You bet. That's State Representative David Seek on the morning line on KMA.